Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. On this particular Sunday, and again, we've been looking at different themes during each of these Sundays after the resurrection, wonderful, marvelous themes. And most of the themes have to do with, in one way or another, baptism. They involve water oftentimes, a conversion of heart, a focus on the physical body, which then gives rise to the mystical meaning of the body and so on. So today, a rich day. In the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, it's the Sunday, the Samaritan woman, one of my favorite stories, beautiful, dramatic story. It's a story of Jesus passing through the Samaritan area, which of course was an area where things were kind of hostile to Jewish people, and of course Christ was a Jew. And in the middle of the day, at the high point of the day, at, the, at noontime, when normally people would not be out, especially women, getting water because it was so hot, this woman is out getting water from the well called Jacob's Well, an ancient well. Now, she was probably there because she didn't want to be seen. She knew that a lot of people would not be there. So she was out there at a time that is very hot. And what's happening is, especially in John's gospel, you must always look at the details of every gospel, but especially John. Because what John does is he writes his gospel on two levels at the same time. And oftentimes, he does it in a way where something is not being misunderstood correctly. Something is being misunderstood on the one level, the more visceral earthly level or literal level, but it actually finds its meaning on another level. And then the person comes to the realization of that other level, which we'll call the mystical. And that's very, very much one of the reasons why I just love John's gospel, and we use it a lot in the Eastern churches, especially during this season, is that we're all about the mystical, about something that is physical of this earth, but actually finds its real meaning in the next life, in the mystical. So nothing is just as it seems, just like ourselves as human beings, made the image and likeness of God. We're not just a man, a woman, a person. We are that, but we're the image and likeness of God. So what we experience on this world, the very theology of our very bodies as man and woman, as human beings, points to, makes real God, the presence of God. 
And so John writes his gospel on a kind of a bi-level basis. And here, the woman who encounters Christ is thirsty. She's coming to the well at a hot time of the day. But that's actually a background for the higher level and some insights into her. She's thirsty, but not just for physical water, as Jesus points out to her, and as you and I are. We're thirsty, yes, on the physical level, but we're also thirsty for something on a mystical level, and that, of course, is Christ, the love of God. And she comes during the hot part of the day because she was a hot woman, in a sense, as we would say today, meaning she had several husbands, and the man she was with at the moment, as Jesus points out to her, is not her husband. In the icon of this event, the woman even is wearing red, which is symbolic of her passion, of her hot passion. And Jesus knows all this, and she's astonished that he knows her so well. He knows what she's really after. She's after Christ. She's after the same thing you and I and everybody else is after, which lies behind all of our sins, all of our looking for the right thing in the wrong places, and that is love, intimacy with God, to share in that love, to be loved by God, and to share in that love. That's really what we're all about. That's the one thing we cannot live well without We'd actually go without water and food for a while, but we cannot go without love and intimacy. And it's interesting, too, with more of the details, the woman at the well tells Christ that she doesn't have a husband. He says, that's right. You've had five husbands, and this one you're with now, the man you're with now, is not your husband. So that's number six for her. Now, that's interesting, an interesting setup, because she's been with six men. Now she's with the seventh man. Jesus Christ. You starting to get it now, how purposeful the details are? The seventh man. The seventh means what? God rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath. In other words, this seventh man would be the rest for her unrest, her emotional, psychological, spiritual unrest, and she would then be at peace. She then would have her thirst fulfilled by the very presence of Christ. Now, what's happening here, though, also is something that's very insightful about, well, how we can handle things that are difficult, especially difficult subjects today. A lot of people come to me and asking, well, Father, what do I do when people are asking me about whether I'm getting the vaccine or not? If I say no, they'll condemn me. If I say yes, they'll say, they might even say, well, gee, don't you know that it's not very safe? Or if I'm undecided, then they'll think ill of me then too. Like, don't you know the urgency? We all have to get vaccinated. So many people are in a quandary as to how to respond when they're asked, are you going to get the vaccine? It's almost like the woman at the well. Everybody's looking for something life-giving. They're thirsting for something. We fear this coronavirus and we want that magic pill. We want to drink from that well that will quench the thirst and fear of death, the fear of sickness that we all have. So how do we respond? Well, as always, I indicate the scriptures. Go to the scripture. Go to Jesus Christ. That's the blueprint. And certainly that's the way it is here during the Sunday of the Samaritan woman in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. What does Jesus do? Well, he asks a lot of questions, and that's what we should do. When we're asked a question that we're uncomfortable with, or we believe that is a, well, it's being asked sometimes, as many people do today, they ask a question in which they're in a sense, almost trying to force a certain reaction. There's only one way to respond to this. Otherwise, we're going to accuse you of being insensitive or intolerant or dangerous or inconsiderate or whatever. Whenever we're confronted with that kind of a question, don't give an answer. Do what Jesus did. Answer a question with a question or questions. 
Jesus asked this woman about her husband, and he knew that she was not married and she had previous husbands, and it got her to be truthful about herself. And this is what we need to do. When we ask questions, what we do is we sort of pull the truth out of people, and we invite them to look at things that they didn't look at before, to reflect more on their positions, to purify them more. We keep asking questions about what they think of something, for instance, the vaccine. What do you think about that? What do you know about that? What have you heard about that? And you can even say, well, I've heard this and I've heard that. Have you heard this? What do you think about that? And what you do is you keep drawing out of them a self-reflection, a kind of an honesty. And this is what Jesus did to the Samaritan woman. He first had to get her honest about herself, about her real thirst. And he, he did that by asking questions. He often did that when he was confronted. He knew this was going to be a setup they're trying to trap him, or just something that could go wrong. He would answer, not directly, but with questions, because that would draw out of the other person their position so they could be exposed and examined, sometimes for its duplicity, in other words, its evil intent, or just because it needed a further examination. And this is what we need to do with people who ask us about the vaccine. Are you getting the vaccine, or why didn't you? Now, you could add a few things, as Jesus did. You could add something like, well, you know, that's a very personal matter. You know, health matters are very personal. I appreciate your concern, but they're very personal. And also, there's things like HIPAA laws, where we're not really required to reveal certain aspects of our health conditions. You can always do that, too. But don't make it like you're arguing. Don't try to convince them that they're right or wrong or that you're right or wrong. Don't do that, especially with this issue. Because the issue of the vaccination is not a black and white issue. It's not like the vaccines years ago, like the polio vaccine. In fact, it's not even a vaccine per se. They call it that, but most of them work differently. They don't work the same as vaccines normally do. In other words, you don't get a portion or a little weak sample of the disease so your body can build up an immunity. It's not that way. Some of the vaccines are a little more that way, but most of them are not. And so this is a whole different world we're in, a different Ball game. It's different when we were younger because many people remember the vaccines we had when we were younger, especially the polio vaccine. And they, they point to that as being a great miracle cure. Well, whether it was or not, some will debate that. It probably overall was a good thing, but it was different than now. And so we can't answer in the same way. We can't answer in a black or white, especially when we feel that we're going to be maybe judged or misjudged. Do as Jesus did with the Samaritan woman enter into a dialogue that asks questions and pulls out of that person a more thorough examination, reflection on their position. You don't have to give your position, just ask questions and offer to them things that you know, even questions you have. The main thing is don't make it about proving yourself right or wrong or proving them right or wrong. Don't be defensive. They really don't have a right to ask you this question, and they may be doing it out of genuine concern, but it's really not their right. And so by asking questions and reminding them of certain things, you can actually, in a polite and diplomatic way, a prudent way, basically kind of draw a little boundary that they're overstepping. They may not realize it, but that's what they're doing. Take a look at that conversation. It's in John chapter 4, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we return. Again, today is a wonderful day, one of my favorite days in the Paschal season in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, the Sunday of the Samaritan woman, a beautiful drama, a beautiful dialogue, a beautiful, clever, but loving dialogue, an encounter between Jesus Christ and a woman 
who really desired the truth and the love of God. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. New from EWTN, a holy hour with Mother Angelica. In 29 brief and brilliant chapters, Mother guides us with scriptural references and her own personal prayers, meditations, and intentions. This book is a beautiful accompaniment to prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament and at home as well. A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica also contains litanies and novenas as well as Mother's teachings on topics such as resisting temptation, love and reparation, repentance, plus an hour of healing, and many more. A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica, available now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic. Shop EWTNRC.com. This is Bishop Christopher Coyne for OLPH Radio in Burlington, Vermont, and you're listening to Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. We're talking about this wonderful encounter in John's Gospel, chapter 4, which we read on this particular Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, especially those Byzantine churches which are on the Gregorian calendar. One of my favorites. It teaches us a lot of things, especially through the details. I'm going to read a few passages from the liturgical verses, the prayers, which are just always so telling. At the Vesper service for this Sunday, we read this. At the sixth hour, you came to the well, O fountain of wonders, to ensnare the fruit of Eve. For at that very hour, she had been driven from paradise by the guile of the serpent. Now, you see, there it is packed. It's full. The sixth hour means around noon. And it's sometimes understood that that's when the devil came to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Again, once again, a time of heat, a time of thirst. You came to the well, O fountain of wonders, that refers to Christ, to ensnare the fruit of Eve. We say in our prayers that Christ ensnares the ensnarer. In other words, the ensnarer is the devil. He ensnared Eve, and therefore, along with her, Adam and all humanity in his clutches. And of course, Christ had to free us of those clutches through his death and resurrection. So we say that the ensnarer 
was ensnared. So in the prayer, Jesus comes to ensnare the fruit of Eve. Notice the reference to Eve. For at that hour, she had been driven from paradise by the God of the serpent. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, you said to her, O Savior, give me water to drink, and I will give you waters of eternal life. And the woman hastened to the city and proclaimed to the people, come to see Christ the Lord, the Savior of our souls. What did Jesus Christ want? He was thirsty too. Both were thirsty. She was thirsty for water, but that was actually just a metaphor for her real thirst, indicated by her many relationships with men. Her thirst for love, to be cherished, to be genuinely loved and cherished by a man. When she finally came across that man at the well, that man was Jesus Christ, who was the God-man. But Jesus Christ, he thirsted for her, for her heart. And he wanted her to give him not water from earth, but the water of her own soul, her own heart, her own love and devotion. They both were looking for the same thing, but in different ways. There's another beautiful prayer from the liturgical verses here. It says this, that Jesus met the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. The one who covers the earth with clouds asks water of her. Oh, what a wonder. The one who rides in the cherubim converses with an adulterous woman. The one who suspended the earth on the waters asks for water. The one who caused the springs of water and their lakes to overflow seeks water. He truly desires to save this woman from the snares of the enemy and to fill her with living water, to extinguish the flames of her passions, for he alone is compassion and lover of mankind. What we do a lot of times in the liturgical verses is we show the comparisons like the complementary or the, or the opposites, the one who rides in the cherub and converses with an adulterous woman, the one who suspended the earth on the waters, asks for water. See, it helps to increase our marvel at the works of God, that here's the one who covers the earth with clouds and yet asks water of a woman. He whom not even the universe can contain was contained within the womb of a virgin. We keep pronouncing through the liturgical prayers, the great marvels, the wonders, they're incomprehensible. And we do that by these contrasts, these metaphors, these allegories. The one who causes springs of water and their lakes to overflow seeks water. It's like a contradiction. It's a paradox. One of the reasons I always enjoyed the writings of G.K. Chesterton, because he used to write a lot in paradox, understood the paradox of faith and reality, that what is one way actually is actually becomes the opposite. Just as Jesus, he's the one that supplies water to the world, and yet he's asking for water. So it's just marvelous. The one who can't be contained is contained within the virgin womb or a cave. Same thing at his death. Another wonderful passage says this, that she received his gift and announced to all, come and see him who knows all secrets as God. He has come in the flesh for the salvation of the human race. One of the things that impressed the Samaritan woman and her friends is what God knew about her heart. You see, we oftentimes think God doesn't know us, so we can fool him. A lot of times we're just fooling ourselves. But God knows what's in our heart. And this was this is something that's very helpful when it comes to prayer. Sharing our heart with God. That's really what prayer is. Share with God what is on your heart. He already knows that, but it's good for us to share it with him so that we know it. We can articulate 
put our finger on what it is we really need. Just like the woman at the well, she did not know that what she really needed was Jesus Christ. That was the living water that she got. He told her he would give it to her, but she didn't understand. Again, that's that Joe and I, you know, the Gospel of John, his bi-level kind of writing. She was thinking on an earthly plane. But what she really wanted, what she didn't even know, God knew, was this love. She wanted Jesus Christ. And so whenever we pray, pray from the heart. Tell Christ what it is you really want, you really need. Tell him what you feel. And if it's anger, and if it's disappointment, even if you're ashamed of it, tell him. Share your heart with him. He knows our heart, but he wants us to know our own heart. So we know how to go to Christ. We know how to pray. We know what petitions to make to him, things that would be good for us. And then another very interesting passage says this, Christ, the wise creator, ignored the customs of the Jews. They have no dealings with Samaritans, yet he asked the woman for a drink of water. And by his pleasing words, he led her to ask for divine water, the life-giving drink. She drank and channeled the flood to water her town. That's one of my favorite lines here. She drank and channeled the flood to water her town. When you look at the world, look at the government, look at other nations, it just seems so depressing and oppressive. We almost get to the point of losing hope or despair. It's young people rioting. It's government raising taxes, seemingly doing nothing about all the crime and the rioting and the damage and the destruction. We have nations that are continue to develop more and more nuclear weapons to destroy each other. Tensions continue to rise. We don't know whether we're man, woman. We don't know what marriage is about. It's just a world that seems beyond control. And we would love to control it. We would love to fix it. But we seem so powerless. But where is our power? Our power, if we look at the Paschal season, the scriptures and what happened, even now in this gospel of the Samaritan woman, we see that our power, our hope, is not in trying to topple governments, change the world. We can't. What we can do is go to what is most proximate, ourselves and those closest to us. Remember, during the resurrection, Jesus Christ appears to the women, just a couple of women, after the resurrection, and he tells them what? He tells them to go to the proximate sphere, to the upper room where there's just a few men gathered there, the apostles. He said, tell them. He didn't say go on the mountaintop and start screaming, Christ is risen. He said, go to a little group of men and tell them. Christ encountered two men on the road to Emmaus. Christ sent out people like Cyril and Methodius, just two brothers, to evangelize half of Europe. Think of St. Benedict, St. Francis. Think of the fathers of the church. These are just few people, few, oftentimes just two, that changed the world and changed the church forever, set things back on track. So too with the Samaritan woman, as it says in this liturgical verse, she drank and channeled the flood to water her town. She didn't go and save the world. She didn't go and save the world. She didn't go beyond her town. She went and told the people closest to her after she had drank the mystical water 
the water of Jesus Christ. After she was filled with that, she was able to evangelize others who were closest to her. And from that, what will save the world emanates outward. That's how it's done on the, I'll call it the local level. Even when it comes to politics, the local level is what's more important. We always make the presidential election so important. Well, it is. But let's face it, how much can we really change a big government? But we can change things that affect things on the local level, and those on the local level eventually get to the higher levels. So we got to get things right close to home. We see that with the Samaritan woman and Jesus and their close, intimate encounter, how she evangelizes her own people first. We see it with the women at the tomb. We see it with the apostles. We see it so many times in salvation history. By some miracles only God can do, he changes the world with just a few. And those few can still be you and me. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leah on Light of the East. Christ is risen. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.